Welcome, folks, to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. The only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. On the Voice of Truth radio show, we'll be engaging in vigorous and robust discussion on culture, history, and current events from a biblical perspective. So, we are on Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3 o'clock. Set your alarm, folks. Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger is where we podcast. Email us at MikeAzinger1965 at gmail.com. And I think that's it. I think I covered everything. You're slacking. That's all I got. (laughs) That's all you got. I've I've typed nothing. I don't uh, memorize this. I read it. What do you want? It's you, all think your I, stuff. you think I can memorize all that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, hope you're doing well out there, and we appreciate you tuning in very much yeah. to the Voice of Truth radio show. Uh, like I said, it's Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3, and we podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Tim, is that on Spotify? Where do they go to get that? Anywhere. Anywhere? Yeah. Okay. We're on, yeah, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes. iTunes. So whatever those are, go to them. <laughs> hey, you don't I will even know say what they this, are. You're, I have you're talking like Spotify. This, yeah, I know. you don't. I have you know them. I have the apps though. Does that count? <laughs> There's a lot of apps I have on my phone. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> I, most that, of them. Well, that well, uh, that is a good start. That's a good start. Yeah. Downloading them. Yeah. So at I least did, having them on there. And I can show you uh, proof that I have them. Hey, if you can, if you can relate See to uh, to Mike out there, listening audience, on having uh, apps and not not using them, he'd appreciate an email from you, just <laughs> soothing his uh, lack of understanding. There it is, Spotify. Look here. See, it's you on got there. it. Hey, what's the other one, Tim? You said iTunes. Yeah, yeah, it's on here somewhere among these other. I think the key is to have a lot on there so people think you know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, so that you when know. they see your screen, they're like, "Boy, this guy, this he gets guy it. Is, uh, He's with it." The app man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, what did we talk about? We had on James McCormick last week, and he's the. He's the gentleman who earned the Silver Star in the Iraq War, told his story. It was phenomenal. Wow. And he had just been with Woody Williams, who passed away last week. And uh, uh, James McCormick, Captain McCormick from Mason County. And he's the, uh, he's the main dog at the Purple Heart, National Purple Heart, whatever you call it. He's the commander there, I think is what you call him. So he's... Uh, He's quite uh, quite a guy. Humble told his uh, told a story of he and three other guys in his um, whatever they were driving just just drove into an ambush in Iraq yeah. and and they just uh, as he described it he said to them they they made their way to a building and uh, parked that thing and he said to his men uh, this is our Alamo <laughs> this is our wow. Alamo and they survived. They survived. He he thought they were going to die, but but I said to him, I think that the reason that you and your men survived might have been because of your bravery and leadership, because he was the lead guy, and he didn't say anything. And I think that uh, I think that's the case. But a great story. We'll have him on again sometime. Uh, But I've just I've just gotten to know him in the last uh, six months, maybe maybe a year. Uh, No. Six, last six months, and met him 
well, I'd met him before. My dad had met him, who was in the House of Delegates for years. But I had never, I didn't remember, and never had a a long conversation with him. And then through uh, Delegate Conley, um, at at an event recently, I got to know him uh, much better and, uh, and was honored to meet him. All right, so um, I'm still still buzzing about this Roe v. Wade overturning and mm-hmm. these Supreme Court decisions that came down. The uh, Texas, let me find this story if I can. I had it up here. Uh, so the Texas Supreme Court, this is a Breitbart, Breitbart story. Texas Supreme Court allows abortion ban to go into effect. Uh, the Texas Supreme Court reversed a lower court on Friday evening. So this is a July 2nd story. And allowed a pre-Roe 1925 law prohibiting abortions to go into effect. So this is like the West Virginia law yeah. in, a lot, in a lot of ways. Ours comes from ours, the, the law that's in effect right now that will be changed. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some hits, I think. But uh, the law in the books in West Virginia comes from pre-statehood mm-hmm. when we were part of Virginia back in uh, pre-Civil War. And uh, this... Texas Supreme Court said, look, uh, we're going back to pre-Roe 1925 law that uh, prohibits abortions. The state Supreme Court's order is the latest addition in an ongoing feud between Texas government officials and abortion providers following the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. So Texas has a, a brave attorney general who's stepping up and he uh he uh sent out a text pro-life victory thanks to my appeal being humble there he said said, thanks to my appeal he's a a typical politician uh preachers are like that also you know you got our moments (laughs) pro-life victory thanks to my appeal scotus has slapped down the abortion providers and the district court carrying the water our state's Pre-Roe statutes banning abortion in Texas are 100% good law. Litigation continues, but I'll keep winning for Texas's unborn baby. So he's the hero of his own story. I love those. <laughs> Although the 1925 law prohibiting abortions was not enforced after Roe was decided in 1973, so all those, all those um, uh, anti-abortion laws on the books went dormant after Roe in 73. The law remained on the books, like ours. A Harris County judge, which is down there in Texas, temporarily blocked the abortion ban after abortion clinics sued. The abortion clinics argued the law was effectively repealed when the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade, but the Texas Supreme Court disagreed and allowed the pre-Roe ban to go into effect. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton applauded the court's decision as a pro-life victory. So, as I understand it, there is... Um, I don't know if there's no abortion in Texas or if it goes to the heartbeat bill, which hmm. they passed recently in Texas. So uh, either way, yeah, okay, here we go. Texas is a pro-life state, and we have taken significant action to protect the sanctity of life, Abbott said. 
Texas was the four, first state in the nation to enact a heartbeat law last de- September that would, aban- uh, that would ban abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected. So mm. I think that's what the law is now. I met the guy when I went to that conference uh, a week ago. I met the guy that wrote that law mm. that was different than any law in the country because uh, citizens could sue. Yeah. Which is just wild. It's amazing. And that guy said, he's a young guy, very smart. And uh, he said, he said it's held up but in court. It's been in law 10 months, he said. Uh, and he said, uh, no court's been able to, to wow. take it down. So well, it's, it's, uh, it's solid law. I think that brings up a good, I think, point of explanation about what's happened since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, too. And, and really, now that the burden falls on the state to uh, pass the laws that are basically going to govern the issue of mm-hmm. abortion. I, I think it'd be good for our listeners to know what that means for us and then what our responsibility is now, because, you know, they made such a big deal. Uh, the liberals did about this overturning of Roe v. Wade as though it was going to ban abortion everywhere. And I think what they were trying to do with that is, you know, lull conservatives into this idea like like you've won. Hey, it, Roe v. Wade's been overturned. You, you know, abortion's been disbanded. But that's not the case. Now, state legislators are going to come together and actually determine for each state this is the way we're going to handle abortion moving forward. Now, in, in states like Texas, where they've already passed a, you know, heartbeat bill or whatever these bills are, that's the law that's in the those law. states. And, but and, but what for West Virginia? I mean, we the only law we have on the books is this one that predates our state. Yes. So that means the legislature is going to come together and, and ultimately decide what the fate of abortion is here in this state. So yes. wh- where does that leave us as citizens? What needs to take place Yeah, now? well, that's a good point. Uh, what, what Roe v. Wade... Uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade on the 24th of June did, it just it, it just uh, presented a whole new set of problems. Praise God for it. I, mm-hmm. I mean, thank the Lord for what happened on June uh, 24th. I never thought it would happen. But now what we've done, we shifted, and we have, we have uh, a, a whole new set of challenges that we have to take on. And uh, in West Virginia, it's different than a Texas, that's mm-hmm. different than Nebraska, that's different than New York. I think blue states will go hard, hard for abortion, and red states, I think, will go hard for uh, more and more pro-life laws. West Virginia uh, has a law that uh, was on the books. It says that anyone in abortion involved in an abortion could get three to ten years. Mm-hmm. But that's not likely to stay intact. That's not likely to stay intact. And it's it's also um, if the, something happened to the mother, it's it's considered uh, felony murder. Hmm. So that shows you also the the difference in morals uh, 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. That was that was the law, um, and I think what we're also seeing is how jaded many Americans have become after 50 years of yeah. living with Roe v. Wade. I think all of us feel that mm-hmm. to some degree. So what uh, what we need, you know, is we just need the the, the Lord to to come in and just uh, pray and ask God and uh, to to send the Spirit of God in our hearts and just revive us and and give us that that uh, horror the. Uh, that horrifying sense of what abortion really mm-hmm. is, what happens, and uh, how a baby is 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 dismembered, or or uh, however they kill they kill a baby in the womb. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. So in West Virginia, 
Um, and uh, we, we need to have folks call the legislature again, call the governor again. We want this as tight as possible. Mm-hmm. We want this law that uh, it's, it's, you know, it's inevitably, inevitably going to be changed to some degree just because of uh, the force of, of nature of the last 50 years and that momentum and that jading that's taken place. But, but um, we still want, we still want um, rape and incest not to be part of that. Yeah. I've got a story here that I'm going to read here in just a minute um, about uh, a mom who was, who was raped when she was 11 years old. And there's a picture of them on the front of the story I uh, showed to you here, Pastor, um, of mom with her little girl. And the mom's 11 years older than the little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so rape and incest, th- they're still babies. Yeah, they're right? still babies. They're still babies. Yeah. So we want uh, we want this law to be as pro-life so, as possible. So when is this likely to start taking place? So the governor's going to call us into a special session probably in August. Okay. Um, he said very soon, but uh, where does he stand on this? Is he? I, I don't know. I think that uh, the governor, um, he, he's he's not Horatio at the bridge. If you've ever read that story, <laughs> he's not the most intrepid man you've ever met. He, he he's got a lot of, of great things that he's done in terms of signing bills, and but he's more reactive. You know, he's not he doesn't take the lead on stuff. So we just need to. To pressure him, we need to pressure the legislators, especially the uh, the Republican rhinos who are going to say that uh, look, we need to do uh, we need to include rape and incest in this. Uh, so um, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge. It's mm-hmm. going to be a battle. We got a battle coming, and uh, Lord willing, Lord willing, we'll get through this thing and have have a strong pro life. Law so, on the books again in West Virginia. So, folks, if you're listening, this is a monumental moment to take advantage of. I mean, this is where we can get on the ground floor of calling. We, we can put the American process to work. We can call our legislators. We can let them know our heart in this matter. We can let them, you know, understand from our own mouth the, the gravity of the situation and the brutality of abortion as a whole. And we need to do our part to get a hold of these folks and, uh, and pray over this and uh, and see a great victory here in West Virginia that way as well. Yeah, you can you can go on the website wvlegislature.gov. I think that's it. But uh let me just give the governor's office number. Should I give his personal cell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have his personal cell. Uh 558-2000 is the governor's office number. 304-558-2000 and that'll get you to the front desk in the uh, in the governor's office, and uh, we need to bombard him down there and call as many of the, as, of the legislators mm-hmm. as possible. The um, the hard lefters and the hard writers, you know, people like me, it's uh, it's good to get a phone call, but mm-hmm. just make call call the folks that you think um, in the House and the Senate that are are going to be a problem. 
Yeah. And and you folks may not know who they are, but just call as many as you can. Call the governor's office. And uh, so this is a, uh, like you said, this is a monumental moment. This is an important uh, an important time in the history of, of America mm. and West Virginia. Ohio, I believe, has the heartbeat bill also. So they go, that's where they are now. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they can keep passing bills uh, year after year to get us to uh, to where we're, we're protecting them, the babies, at the point of conception, yeah. which is completely pro-life, which yeah. is a biblical a biblical stance because we know that um, the, the Bible says over and over, so and so conceived and bear Cain That's and right. bear Abel after the after conception. Mm-hmm. The Bible talks about conception. Boom, that spark of light that you can actually yeah. see at the point of conception. So we're pro-life. Um, here at the Voice of Truth Radio Show, we are pro-life, and uh, we are we are li- uh, believers that life begins at conception, as the Bible teaches. That's right. So we're going to bump out of this real quick. On, when we get back, I'm going to tell this story about this gal who uh, she's uh, who, who had a baby uh, was 11 years old was raped, and uh, I'll just tell the whole story. Just I'll just read it. It's a fantastic story, and then uh, then we'll probably do a, a short segment next one, and and then after that we got a great story from Neil Gorsuch um, about the West Virginia versus EPA. That was a big big deal. That Supreme Court decision. Um, so we had a prayer in school decision from the Supreme Court that was great. Roe v. Wade was great. We had. Uh, the an education decision that was phenomenal mm-hmm. on uh, ESAs up in Maine, and then we have this this uh, this great story on West Virginia versus EPA. This will this will be fascinating. We'll do that in the third or fourth mm-hmm. segment, and uh, a little gun story too. Gun sales are going nuts. Com- uh, It's like been three years every month. Wow. Unbelievable. All right, you're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state the church part is mere feet away. <laughs> I can Pastor. touch the state part. Oh, we can fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we uh, we don't believe in separation of church and state here. We believe the church, meaning the uh, Bible, yeah. undergirds our government. Yeah. And when that was uh, in full force, things were good in America, mm. and. Uh, but we've had some good Supreme Court decisions. That's right. Like the uh, the gentleman, this guy was uh, this this uh, coach who won that Supreme Court case. He he was a a uh, a fearless guy. Hmm. He just kept praying. Yeah. He just kept praying, and uh, that was an eight year battle. Hmm. He lost his job, the whole deal. Now they have to hire him back. So he's back. Wow. <laughs> he's back in the saddle, and um, it's like a true Daniel moment there. Yeah, it was. He was. But he, he just uh, – we've got some people like that in the country, hmm. and uh, people are rising up. I really, I really believe that people are 
you know, you see these these rallies and these boards of education and these July 4th things. And, uh, Americans are becoming patriotic. Mm. And by patriotic, I mean the old-fashioned patriot, patriotic that was that was rooted in the gospel of right. Christ. You see Christians, people that love Jesus, are rising up. Mm. Um, and uh, we had the Roe v. Wade decision. That uh, that would not have happened without Trump's three appointees, right. who I did not believe would have the guts <laughs> yeah. to do it, oh. but they did. Praise God, yeah, they did. Right. And uh, so that to me is, a, you know, the, the the people on the Supreme Court are are human beings, mm-hmm. right? And they are uh, they are affected by the zeitgeist, by the ebb and flow of the of the culture, whether it be good or bad. They are. You know they're supposed to they're supposed to rule on the Constitution, but they they are human and they get affected too. I believe that the the turn in the culture that I believe has happened in the last few years and continues to happen has affected the Supreme Court yeah. also. Yeah, I agree. Now they should never ever have have uh, have uh, taken up Roe v. Wade even back mm-hmm. in 1972 and 73, but yeah. they did. They have no right sticking their nose in there. They have no right sticking their nose in Obergefell, which right. gave us gay marriage. Right. They did, but um, but I think that they, they said, look, Roe v. Wade, that's not our place. That's right. the states. They threw it back to the state. So we have a good, uh, I don't think great, but a very good uh, constitutional, con- uh, strict constructionist mm-hmm. uh, members of the court, five at least. Roberts, every once in a while... <laughs> He'll gain a little bit of courage and come our way. He never comes all the way, but he comes half the way. Right, and he's uh, it's better than having a hardcore Marxist on there like the one that just joined that little gal who's I can't forget to remember her name. She was appointed uh, just recently. All right, so eleven year old bravely rejected abortion after rape. She has no regrets. 22 years later. I'm just going to read this story. It'll be quick. But this is a fascinating, fascinating hmm. story about this little girl. And folks that say, well, uh, I, you know, what's, I think we should have the exceptions of rape and incest. This, this might change your mind. You know, we, we, we make the point, uh, we made the point in the last segment, Pastor, that uh, life begins at, accept, at uh, uh, conception, and after that, it's, it is a life, right? And no touch, don't touch. Yeah. God created life at conception. So, what about the cases of rape or incest? The article says it's the ultimate comeback when anyone who supports legal abortions debates the issue with someone who is pro-life. Why? Sometimes such arguments or debates seems as if they are taking place in a vacuum, with what if figures with no name or face. Uh, these situations do exist, and the faces and names of the people who survived ab- abortion are very real. Hmm. These are real people, yeah. like Jora Trang. So I don't know what nationality he is. She's uh, from the Far East, somewhere, somewhere, Cambodia, or uh, you know, Vietnam, or some somewhere like that, and came to America. Jora Trang is now a 33-year-old civil rights attorney from San Francisco. But 22 years ago, something horrible happened to her pastor. She said, I had been in the bathroom at school one morning when a stranger raped me. I was 11 years old. The truth is, I don't remember much of the attack. 
I know I didn't like what was happening and didn't understand it, but I also had no idea how to make whatever was going on stop. I didn't scream or cry. I just kept my eyes closed tight. I stayed in the bathroom for the rest of the day. Imagine what a horror that must have been. Feeling dirty, used, and very, very confused. Imagine that. And after that day, I pushed what had happened away. I told no one. My family was not much for talking, and anyway, I didn't have the words for it. It was years before I would understand that I had been raped. Hmm. At the time, I had no idea that I could become pregnant from what had happened. I didn't even know what being pregnant was. In the months that followed, my body started to change from being pregnant, but I thought I was just developing the way my friends were. Then about five months later, I felt something move inside my stomach. Wow. 11 years old, imagine. Wow. So the article continues. The rape was horrific enough. Then Jorah had to describe to her parents what had happened. Adding to the guilt and shame she had already felt from the rape itself, she says, I was frightened. Frightened? I told my parents, who then took me to see a doctor. But he just asked me a bunch of angry questions about whether I had boyfriends, and I felt feeling, uh, I left feeling extremely bewildered. Then she said on her, uh, uh, Twitter, I grew bigger and bigger, and eventually I stopped going to school. I did miss it, but I, but I understood that my pregnancy had to be kept a secret. My parents hid me in the house, and I told my younger brother and sister that we were adopting a baby, so they just thought I was getting fat. <laughs> I knew my child could be raised, uh, my child would be raised as my mother's. Then the article says there's never, never a compelling reason to have an abortion, but if there could be one, this one would be understandable, hmm. right? 11-year-old go- girl, imagine it happening to, you know, one of our right. little girls. Still, Jorah path, uh, pressed forward with giving birth and keeping her baby. Uh, she says, despite all that, my pregnancy was a beautiful experience. Hmm. Huh? How about that? Even right. this little girl, she felt something moving inside of her, even 11-year-old 11 years old, she said it was a beautiful experience. Wow. As my belly swelled, I had a feeling of self-awe. I felt really beautiful hmm. because something amazing was going on inside my body. She understood intuitively. Yeah. Right? That natural law given to her by God. She understood that a baby was growing inside of her, and she said it was beautiful and amazing. Hmm. My daughter kicked a lot. I read to her in my tummy and played her classical music because I heard somewhere that it could make her make her smart. Then one day my mother took me to the hospital for what I thought was a normal doctor's visit and I had the baby. Wow. My water had broken the night before, but I didn't know I was in labor. I didn't remember being in pain at all. My baby was so cute and perfect. Wow. I instinctively counted her fingers and her toes and immediately uh, formed an attachment to her. Hmm. George's story is moving and heartbreaking. How does she attend school and so on? Um, but it, it shows a picture here, Pastor. Here they are. Uh, mom and daughter at her daughter's graduation. Wow. And her name is Meggie, M-E-G-G-Y. Now that Meggie is in college on the East Coast and I am pl- employed as a lawyer on the West Coast, I do everything I wanted to do as a teen. I take eight dance classes a week. I go out dancing all weekend, and I sit and think a lot, which is something I didn't get to do. Um, 
And she finishes, through love and hard work together, we've been able to turn something ugly into something wonderful. We have a true partnership as opposed to a one-sided relationship in which one person takes care of the other. Hmm. My mother is the strongest person I know, the little girl says, who's 22 now. I don't know where she draws her strength from, but I draw mine from her. So this is a little gal, and and uh, the stories are legion like this. Yeah. Who was who was conceived in rape? Look, um, I was telling you during the break, Pastor, that uh, I had coffee with a gentleman about something totally different than than the Roe v. Wade decision, and and uh, he's a Christian guy. This came up, and he said, "My dad was conceived in rape." Hmm. He said, "I wouldn't be here if my dad had been aborted, obviously, right. nor would my four children." Yeah. Then I was on a I was on a phone call yesterday with a, a believer. Uh, Strong, good man uh, from Charleston. We've become close to him and his wife, and uh, um, he's a little older than than uh, we are. Um, he's uh, uh, and he said his wife um, would not be here. Hmm. No, his stepson, his wife's uh, son, would not be here had uh because he he was conceived in rape wow but she she decided to have the baby so so we need to we need to not go down that path not be yeah. tempted by the rape and incest thing because these are babies yeah. these are babies conceived and we got to take care of you know the mamas in these mm-hmm. situations obviously and this little girl that we just talked about who's 33 now um she had her mom and dad and they obviously they obviously supported her and helped her um, but but here she is. She didn't abort her baby when she was 11 years old, and that little girl is uh, standing uh, right. You can tell they're close, right? They have mm-hmm. the same smile. They look alike. Yep. The article is called 11-Year-Old Bravely Rejected Abortion After Rape. She Has No Regrets 22 Years Later. It's on uh, lifenews.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, how about that, Pastor? Well, and, you know, I think it, it – stresses the point that personal narratives are powerful and the devil likes to use narratives that have not actually come to fruition yet. You know, he went to to Eve in the Garden of Eden and cast this narrative to her that was powerful enough to deceive her. Mm-hmm. And I find like abortion advocates kind of do that. They, they like to grab onto the narratives that, by the way, are, are fairly rare, the narrative of rape and incest. And they want to kind of try to pack that into some kind of uh, you know, uh, protection for abortion, and and they'll they'll cast out this narrative of well, how how would you feel if if you were in this situation and you gave birth to this child and that child was a constant reminder of the the difficulty that you went through and the taxing burden that that would be emotionally on the mom. Well, you know what that that's not even a narrative that took place because they had an abortion, but this is a real narrative of somebody who who went through with the pregnancy and had the blessing of this child, has the relationship with this child, and, and sees it as a gift. And, and, you know, the devil likes to twist narratives. I think that's the reason why we're in the shape we're in today. And the left, uh, the left likes to take the, the unusual and the rare and, and, and paint it yeah. like it's the normal. The normal. Yeah. Um, they do that with our American history. They mm-hmm. take the, uh, the not rare but they they take the 
the the issue of slavery and, mm-hmm. and broad brush all of the founding fathers of, as all being pro-slavery and all loving slavery and so on, in which the exact op- opposite was true. Most of the founding fathers were wanted to get rid of slavery. And mm-hmm. Jefferson even had in the original Declaration of Independence document, uh, he even had a, a uh, uh, derisive comments about slavery in there, and it was taken out. Because of South Carolina and Georgia, they needed mm-hmm. that support, and and uh, they'd come back and get it later, which mm-hmm. we did. We're the only country, Pastor, who's paid uh, uh, 600,000 lives to get rid of slavery. Yeah, that's that's the only place it's happened. Yeah. Happened. So let's do one more story here. How are we doing on time for, for this one? So let's come back. Let's do, take a, a quick break. I got a story that— um, Here's how we'll finish out. We'll do this story that uh, Michael Brown, who's a, uh, uh, I, I don't know if he's a pastor or evangelist, but he writes good stuff. And uh, he has an article, What We Can Learn from the New Gallup Poll About Declining Faith in America. We talked about this poll last week, I think it was, Pastor. And um, it may have been the week before, but I think it was last week. So uh, the New Gallup Poll that, that basically says... Uh, 81% of Americans now believe in God, and you know, 10 years ago it was 98%, mm-hmm. and for the last 50 years before that it was about 98%. So what's happening? He, he has some good perspective on these, and we'll talk about that when we come back. And then uh, a couple other good stories, stories that we'll finish out with. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey in the house. Yeah. Who says that, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're a DJ I, today. I wasn't bad. I was actually uh, not expecting that. It was kind of like it had a little demonic flavor to it. Hey, I was watching this video of, uh, did you, maybe you sent it to me, of, um, let's see, who was it at the Supreme Court? Where'd I get that? And this guy was was at the Supreme Court report, uh, just reporting. One of our guys was was some, some right wing group, <laughs> and and this guy came up to him, man, and he was on a mission to go after him. He started just getting in his face, oh, and, no. and just right, big guy, tall, and the guy said, to our guy, the reporter said, uh. What's 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 the deal here? You like killing babies? And the guy immediately, I think, <laughs> he immediately went into this grovelly, deep voice. I love killing babies. Oh man! It was spontaneous. It was like he didn't have control. Wow. And the guy who was uh, being interviewed after that said, um, said uh, it was a demonic voice. Wow. It's a demonic thing. They're they're showing their. Uh, that's what I thought immediately. That guy's demon possessed. He was he was just he was just passionate about pro choice. Wow. You know you've seen the eyes of those gals yeah. and those. Uh, it, it's obviously a spiritual war that yeah. that were involved. Well, somebody in. was saying that it might have been you that when you know there were demonstrations there in front of the courthouse that there were some almost satanic 
members of some satanic group that were there that were chanting over the top of people that were praying yes. or accosting yeah. them in some way. Or. Yeah, who told that uh, story? I forget. Um, it was, I think, Matt Staver with Liberty Council. Mm. That's a Christian group who whose offices are in proximity to the Supreme Court, and they sent staff. And they just were praying on the steps. And these uh, this guy, he, he just had to be demon-possessed. He... He was just dark, dark. You know, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel that. But um, not that everyone you see is demon-possessed, but right. there are people that are demon-possessed. Read yeah, the Bible, right? right? All right, what can we learn, what we can learn from the new Gallup poll about declining faith in America? This is by Michael Brown on Daily Wire. A new Gallup poll documenting a dramatic drop in America's faith in God raises Serious concerns about the spiritual condition of our country, as summarized by LifeSite News, quote, the numbers have gone from 98% professed believers 50 years ago to 81% in 2022. But that's not a gradual steady drop. There is a uh, asterisk here, and we'll get into it. At the same time, Brown says, the results of the survey are enlightening and even contain array of hope. This is why I wanted to read this, one of the reasons. As for the data itself, quote, Gallup first asked this question in 1944 in terms of, do you believe in God? I think that's basically the question. Repeating it again in 47 and twice each in the 50s and 60s. In those latter four surveys, a consistent 98% said that they believed in God. So 44, 47, and then the 50s and 60s, it was always 98% said they believed in God. When Gallup asked the question nearly five decades later in 2011, it went to 92%. A subsequent survey in 2013 found belief in God dipping below 90% to 87%. So the numbers are hard to do on the radio, but uh, uh, so 2011, it went from 98% all those years to 92% in 2011. Two years later, 87%. Hmm. Roughly where it stood in three subsequent updates between 14 and 17, before this year, it dropped, it plummeted to 81%. So in the last 12 years, it's gone from 98% to 81%. Hmm. How do we explain this significant drop in a recent article titled, Why Are So Many Christians leading, uh, Leaving the Faith by Michael Brown himself? I listed the number of reasons why many Christians are now identifying as nuns, meaning they have no religious right. affiliation, or duns, I've not heard this term, meaning they are done with the faith. Hmm. Among the factors discussed, all right, Pastor, get your uh, antenna up. I want to hear your opinion of this. Um, Among the factors discussed of why we have so many nuns and duns and these uh, young people abandoning the faith, among the factors discussed were scandals in the church, Hmm. the politicizing of the gospel, the success of LGBT propaganda, the widespread dissemination of atheistic attacks on God and the Bible, the uh, pervasive availability of sinful temptation and distraction, and superficial preaching from our pulpits. Hmm. 
Another factor, he says, is the lack of personal experience with God. Hmm. Well, I, see, I think that points to one thing, and it's surface Christianity. And I think what's happened is, is in the world of Christianity, surface Christianity has become pervasive. There, there's not been a, a deep-rooted relationship with God based upon a knowledge from his word. Hmm. Because all these things that were mentioned there— uh, go through that list one more time. What were some of the things? What was there at the top of the list? Scandals in the church. I thought you'd have it memorized right? after Sc- I said Scandals it. in the church. That was the first one, right? <laughs> you got that. All right, so... Um, I think that was the first one. Scandals, scandals in the church. Scandals in the church. Politicizing uh, politici- okay. so, of the gospel. So the, the, LGBT. So this, so is, this is reactionary. Um, there, there's scandals in every avenue of life. You know, you, you, you go to the grocery store, you're going to run into hypocrites. You don't stop going to the grocery store. Yeah, it's hurtful when there are scandals in the church, um, but somebody who has a deep faith in the Lord follows mm. the Lord, doesn't follow a man. Mm. Uh, men are fallible. They've not been taught the truth, and they've not anchored their heart in the truth because the final thing that was mentioned on this list was a lack of real solid preaching from the pulpits, substantive preaching from the pulpits. And I think that undergirds the whole problem at the top, which is surface Christianity. Mm-hmm. When you're not being fed well from the Word of God, then you make your attachments to men and movements instead of to truth and and a relationship with the Lord. And then when the winds of culture blow or the winds of scandal blow— you're, you're knocked away from the faith. The, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Mm-hmm. Well, who's a double-minded man? It's somebody who's not anchored his mind and his hope in the Lord in a deep relationship with God. Um, the, the Bible also tells us that, you know, in the last days, perilous times will come where men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous posters, proud, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, discontinent, fierce, despisers of those that do good. And then it says they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. There's a, there's a surface Christianity that I think is the pervasive problem of why you're getting the response you do to, to do you believe in God, do you believe in the faith. Were you showing off? Just a little bit. <laughs> I thought, well, that's, that's, that's quite impressive. Um, but no, exactly right, brother. So, and the last one is actually is a lack of personal experience with God, which yeah. you mentioned. Um, uh, you know, it, like like you said, no, no matter what happens in the church, with if there's a scandal in the church, and I, I've been through that, my family has, and, and probably a lot of Christians have. A lot of Christians but, have. But if we're anchored in Jesus Christ— mm-hmm. Nothing. Uh, he's going to do nothing wrong. And, he never changes. God's immutable and yeah. impervious to any kind of the uh, uh, of sin. Right? They right. they uh, they do not sin, cannot sin, never sin, never will. Um, so, Father, Son, Holy Ghost is where we uh, have our hope. All right. Now we're going to dig a little deeper. Let's just do two more minutes here. Gallup reports. Uh, this is uh, Michael Brown again in the article. Gallup reports quote the groups. With the largest declines, and this is how he's. This is the hope he sees. Look, he's saying with with uh, God's people who love Jesus and are in conservative churches, defined as Bible believing churches. So the groups with the largest declines are also the groups that are currently least likely to believe in God. Hmm. Including liberals, sixty-two percent; young adults, sixty-eight percent. And uh, uh, 
the, the highest belief in God is conservatives and, frankly, uh, Republicans. That's where the repository of the, the Christian faith generally is. Um, so, anyway, the, the hard part about the article is that we have a problem with our young people. Hmm. Our young people are, are being uh, well, hoodwinked and, into this. And I've got some insight on that. I think for far too long, parents have proclaimed one thing as being important, but they've shown other things as being important. So when we say, you know, my, my relationship with God is important, um, we need to know who he is, we need to pursue him, we need to live for him, we need to serve him, he, he's, at the, he's at the most important level of my life. But then they take their children and they don't have anything to do with their education personally. They don't care what they learn as long as somebody else is teaching them and they don't have to teach them anything. Uh, they don't go to church. You know, the ball game's more important. The, the opportunities for my child to be in this club or that club or the other club's more important. And, and what we're teaching our children is that Christianity is only important when it's convenient. Well, guess what? The culture's making Christianity very inconvenient today. And so what's happening is our young people are folding to what we've taught them. We've taught them only embrace Christianity as it's convenient in your life. Mm. And this is what I mean by surface Christianity. They've not been taught well. They don't understand even the basic stories from Scripture. Mm. Um, A lot of your young people today couldn't recount to you major Bible characters, who they were and what they've done. Um, Pulpits are more filled with how do you feel and how can I affirm that then this is what God has said and this is his truth. Right. And so we've we've created generations now of of so-called Christians who really only express a surface Christianity. And when it feels inconvenient, when it becomes inconvenient, they can just twist the narrative and either embrace a whole different form of Christianity or deny Christianity altogether. Well, they're altogether. obviously not being taught because a whole bunch of them uh, don't believe in God now, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or, or uh, believe in LGBT. You know, you will never believe in the, the uh, LGBT doctrine, uh, false doctrine, if if you're taught soundly, you know, that male and female created he them. That mm-hmm. simple verse would, would brings the that whole LGBT philosophy crashing down, mm. and and many many philosophies just. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to kill evolution, mm-hmm. teach kids Genesis one one. Yeah, in the beginning, God was there. Yeah. There was a beginning. God created it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There you go. That yeah. that takes care of evolution. Yeah, male and female made he them. That takes care of the LGBT problem. And um, uh, I was, I, I'm going to bump out of here. We've got to get to the next story. But I, was, I, I saw this video yesterday. Somebody sent it to me um, of, a, of a Satanist. Listen to this, Pastor. I'll be quick here. Uh, a Satanist who had come to Jesus Christ just recently. He was a homosexual Satanist, and he said there were four Christians who showed him unconditional love. Hmm that he couldn't resist. One lady, and apparently the Satanist had had said awful, evil things, and one of the people he had said it toward, I believe is how the story goes, but nonetheless, this lady who was a Christian, he kept going, telling over and over about how she came up to him, and she hugged him like with a hug he he had never gotten in his life, and he he couldn't quit crying about it. It was an amazing, amazing story. Hmm. So the love of Christ will fix a lot of things also. All right, we're going to bump out of here. We're going to come back with a story 
about West Virginia versus the EPA. This is a huge, uh, huge happening. So uh, this is a significant development in the uh, Supreme Court decisions that uh, we just kept cascading Mm -hmm. down from the Supreme. It's like revival taking place at the (laughs) Supreme Court. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Loversey, back from vacation. When did you get back from vacation? Like a month ago. <laughs> I hadn't noticed you were back. So where did you go? Are you allowed to say on the air? Where yeah, we went to, well, we, we love history, so we went to Williamsburg and then kind of you did the his- three there. You got Jamestown, Williamsburg, yep. and Yorktown. We did all which I've that. Done that. And then we did uh, Bush Gardens just to, you know, ride some roller coasters and do some of that stuff. That's cool. So that sounds, And then Washington, uh, D.C. We ended in Washington, yeah. D.C. and did some of the Smithsonian stuff. You so know, cool. your kids must love you. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I used to do. Here's what I used to do. All the years my kids were growing up, we always went down south because West Virginians always vacationed in the Carolinas. Every vacation, I would drag them through a museum oh, of yeah. some sort. You have to. Montpelier, yeah. Monticello, oh, man, Mount that, Vernon. That's one, all those places They're are all great. phenomenal. Oh, man. But my kids, Dad, yeah. do we have to go? Yeah. <laughs> my wife, my <laughs> wife's a trooper. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you, you got to go through them, and, and you got to go to the gift shops. Mm-hmm. Don't take money with you. I so have zero resistance coolest, in the gift shops. The coolest they are. They're awesome. They're Phenomenal. The coolest thing, though, that we did is my, my little son, Gavin, everywhere we go, we buy him a, a commemorative coin from that area. Yeah, that's great. So he's got one from Mount Vernon. Yeah, okay. He's got one from – so he's got a collection, and you can literally path out all the vacations we've been on from the coins that he's bought. That so is, that's that pretty is a, neat. Did you have one from North Bend State Park? We've not been there. Uh, oh, no, we've been there. We've been in Philadelphia. Get your coin. I yeah, mean, what's the deal? What's that's right. So, yeah, those are all great. And, and you can – Yorktown, Williamsburg – and uh, uh, Jamestown, those are all just in. They're yeah. all right there in Virginia, yeah. and you can you can do all of them in a couple of days. Yeah. and you got to do it. Neil Gorsuch takes a stand against the tyranny of unaccountable rogue bureaucracy. So the question is, why and uh, where in the Constitution does the Congress is the Congress given the authority to transfer their power to a bureaucracy? Right. The answer nowhere. But they do it and have been doing it for years. And that's why the CDC ran the country during yeah, the pandemic. That's very true. Who are they? They're a, they're a, a uh, bureaucracy that uh, created their own rules mm-hmm. outside of the uh, voting of the process. Republic, yep. the, the process that, mm-hmm. that we have as a republic. And, um, and they're tyrannical. So we just had West Virginia was in this one. This is a huge story. This is an had national implications. Everyone in the country was watching it. And the article said this is a, a fee story. F E E. Without a doubt, Neil Gorsuch is the most libertarian Supreme Court justice of my lifetime. Uh, Brad Palumbo wrote the article. He just proved his constitutional limited government bona fides yet again with a powerful concurrence. 
inveighing against the tyranny of unaccountable rogue bureaucracy. And that's mm. what it is. It's tyranny. The case in question is West Virginia versus the EPA. Yeah, baby. Anyone <laughs> against the EPA, I'm for. <laughs> the devil that's against right. the EPA. Well, the devil's <laughs> at the EPA. All right, which was decided Thursday in a 6-3 ruling. Even got Roberts on that one against the Environmental Protection Agency, which is the EPA, along the justices' typical ideological lines. That issue was the Obama-era clean power plant. This was a 2015 regulatory scheme devised by the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. They are they are tyrants there. The plan sought to reinterpret a decades-old statute to discover new authority for the EPA to forcibly transition the energy sector so that new coal power plants could not be built. Mm. So here's the EPA passing down rules preventing coal power plants from being built in America. That's tyranny. Mm. When, a, when, a, uh, when a bureaucracy does that, that's called tyranny. The Clean Power Plan never actually went into effect as it was caught up in legal battles. Then in 2019, the Trump administration sought to repeal the rule and was itself sued. So Trump fight, fought this. So it remained a live question, could the EPA take unilateral action to restructure the energy industry without congressional approval? Um, so could the EPA make their own rules on coal power plants without co- Congress being involved? Of course not. No. The Supreme Court sought to answer this question in its decision. The majority, author, uh, authored by Chief Justice John Roberts, that's encouraging, mm-hmm. ruled in favor of West Virginia and against the EPA, but did not go so far as to overturn long-held doctrines and so on. Gorsuch, for his part, wrote a concurrence perfectly explaining why rogue bureaucracy must be further reined in. Now, here's some of his, uh, his quotes. We're running out of time here, but um, Gorsuch really waxes... Uh, Wax is poetic here. Vesting federal legislative power, Gorsuch says, in Congress rather than uh, bureaucrats, uh, Gorsuch writes, is vital because the framers believed that a republic, a thing of the people, would be more likely to enact just laws than a regime administered by a ruling class of largely unaccountable, quote-unquote, Ministers, and that's what it would be. So Gorsuch is saying, "Look, you're going to have more just laws come from a uh, Republican form of government, the House, the Senate, and the President, than you would from a tyrannical, uh, a tyrannical bureaucracy that can just create their own mm-hmm. rules and laws." Yep. Admittedly, lawmaking under our Constitution can be difficult, Gorsuch acknowledges, but that is nothing particular to our time nor any accident. The framers believe that the power to make new laws regulating private conduct was a grave one that could, if not properly checked, pose a serious threat to individual liberty. Yeah. Uh, so, with an empowered, unelected bureaucracy, agencies could churn out new laws more or less at whim. Yeah. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. 
Intrusions on liberty would not be difficult and rare, but easy and profuse. Mm -hmm. This isn't hypothetical speculation, Gorsuch, uh, the article says. It's exactly what we've seen under the status quo. Yeah. So here we have a great decision from the Supreme Court. Six to three, we had Robertson on board on this one, and all the others, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh, and, of course, Thomas. Well, and it's so important that this came down because we seem to have an administration that's bent on wanting to completely transform the landscape of energy policy in the United States anyway. I mean, when you have a president laughing about high grass prices and saying, well, this is just going to help us get to all electric vehicles sooner than – I mean, it's, it shows a complete disconnect from, from what we've been as a nation – up to this point in, in, in having the energy that we need at our hands and being able to put that energy to use and being able to have a thriving economy. And they want to do away with all of that. And hopefully this puts a little bit of a speed bump in their way from being able to just do that at will. And um, look, why, why is gasoline five bucks a gallon all of a sudden? Well, it was Putin, and then it was the gas companies, and then it was the— <laughs> Yeah, so it's, no, it's nobody—it's uh, everybody except for the president. Well, right. What happens, you have a steady supply, we have a, mm -hmm. or demand. We have the same demand we've had forever. Mm -hmm. Americans need to get to work and all the other stuff. But you have a squeezing of the supply mm -hmm. because the we're, we're, not, we're not issuing leases to drill oil on federal land mm -hmm. and— uh, so the, the, there's not the supply now. Uh, uh, you're going. This this is just basic economics, folks. Two years ago, we didn't have this problem. Two years ago, we had gasoline at uh, <laughs> sometimes under two dollars a gallon. When I moved here, two and a half years ago, yeah. it was a dollar eighty-two a gallon, and now I'm paying for. 85 well it just went down 11 yeah. cents from five dollars to 489 yeah and diesel is what's uh what's really scary because at some point it's going to get to where if this keeps up these these truck drivers these trunk they they can't afford to mm. they're just someone's got to pay for it well, yeah. where's the inflation come from inflation comes from that mm -hmm. plus it comes from look everyone's getting a, a free check in the, in their bank yeah. uh in their bank and everyone has all this cash to spend all of a sudden, and the value of the dollar plummets because everyone's got a ton of them. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen? It's the law of economics. It will happen no matter what. Prices will go up. That's yeah. why prices are going through the roof. Plus yeah. production, uh, they can't get can't get goods. Uh, Listen, if this was a corporation, everybody would be fired right now. It's 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 ridiculous yeah, it that it could be managed this way. It is. All right, folks, we solved everything uh, we're going to solve today anyway. We'll be back uh, next week. We'll have a recorded we'll show. I'll be out of town. But um, I don't know if you'll be on or not, but probably we'll probably do not. a recording I, I can't do week. it without you. I mean, yeah, come on. That's, uh, how that's how can I move forward? <laughs> so uh, we'll do a recording next week. Week after that, we're going to try to have Bill Federer on, a great mm. Christian historian that you folks will love. So I'll get a hold of him. All right, thanks for tuning in today, folks. This is the Voice of Truth a radio show with Mike Azinger. got my co-host, uh, Brian Leversee, pastor here at Fellowship Baptist Church. And by the way, thank God for all the pastors in the valley Amen. that uh, stand up for Jesus Christ, Amen. And especially on July 4th. You had a, we had a great service mm -hmm. of fellowship, prayer service afterwards, and I guarantee you that it was like that all over the valley. Yeah. Praise God for it. Folks, have a great day, great week, and uh, we'll see you soon. I will choose to